The Start On Demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Monday edition of the podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Today, we're going to talk, of course, about the Bombers. They had a lousy time once again at the Banjo Bowl. Greg was in an appropriately snarly mood. You'll hear some of what he had to say on that. Then we're going to take you to the Taché Promenade. City is spending $10 million to fix it up, to help make it into what they hope will be a destination for Winnipeggers. As well, we want to introduce you to something called KidThink on this World Suicide Prevention Day. There is a group in Winnipeg called KidThink that want to make mental wellness issues for young people easier to deal with. And they want to do it right at Portage and Main. And finally... The results are in for Le Burger Week. We got the exclusive results first from the Burger Week Winnipeg Ambassador. At halftime, I said to Kelly Moore, uh, Kelly, it's the good, the bad, the ugly, and... The 15th annual Banjo Bowl had a little bit of everything. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, Loren McNabb, it is the start. And uh, prairie wind and rain, fall-like weather, two teams that don't really like each other very much. Fans that love to hate one another. And for the home team, a devastating fourth consecutive loss. The final score, Saskatchewan 32, Winnipeg 27. Here are some of the sounds of the game. At the 51... Calaris from left hash has Trey Mason to his left. He motions Mason out of there. Four receivers wide right, and it's a hitch pass. Intercepted. This will be a touchdown for Anthony Gator. The 10, the 5, touchdown. Blue Bombers. Talk about reading a play and stepping in. Wow. Second down and four. Nichols back to pass. Over the middle, intercepted by Willie Jefferson, and he may go. He's to the 55, the 50, the 40. Darvin Adams is chasing, and Jefferson still down to the 10. He's to the 5, and he's going to score. 7.22 left now, second quarter, 10-7 Bombers. And first and goal all over again at the one-yard line. And the Bombers hurry up over the ball. Here's Strebler, and he's in easily for the Bomber. Touchdown. So from the 7, first and goal, Nichols pulls it down. And, oh, he lost the ball. And Iguavan looks like he's going to go all the way for a touchdown. That's just unbelievable. Bob Irving used the term unbelievable in a much different context last year when the Blue Bombers capped a spectacular comeback versus the Montreal Alouettes. In the example you just heard, it was an underhanded throw near the goal line by quarterback Matt Nichols which resulted in the second of two Nichols passes returned for 90-yard-plus touchdowns for the Rough Riders' defense. If not for penalties that overturned the result of two other plays, Nichols unofficially threw a total of five footballs that were caught by Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Nichols' final stats, 10 of 20 for 165 yards, only one less yard for what he threw for the entirety of last weekend's Labor Day Classic, zero touchdowns and... Three official interceptions. Nichols did not appear in the second half for the Bombers. Here's Bob Irving with head coach Mike O'Shea. Talk about the play of Matt Nichols. He, he had, a, had a tough day. Mike, what did you see? Yeah, trying to make plays and, and uh, 
you know, that, I guess, would affect his decision-making, right? Because he's just trying, working really hard to make, make the perfect plays, right? Is, is what I would sum it up to. Yeah. yeah. Is he pressing? Would you use the word that, that's pressing? What I, that's exactly what I just said. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Trying too hard. I, I'm not going to use that word, though, Bob. He's okay. trying to make, you know, he's trying to make good, he's trying to make big plays for his team. Yeah. You know? Was it a tough decision for you to change quarterbacks? No, not at that point. No. You know, I guess on a personal level, it is, it's always like that. But, uh, you know, in terms of responsibility to the team, it's, it's not. It just, he wasn't on, right? So. Yeah. Do you come back with him or do you know yet? I don't know yet. I thought about, uh, you know, that last drive too. Because I, I, I think, you know, we prepped him saying he, he, he could very well be going back in, right? So uh, we'll see. Chris Streveler took over for Nichols and couldn't rally the Blue Bombers for a desperately needed win. Here's Streveler on being tapped to lead his team coming out in the second half, trailing 2017. As the backup, um, you you got to be ready to go at all times, you know. I mean, when, no matter the situation. And, and with me, you know, I, I do a lot of the short yardage stuff. So, yeah. you know, during the game, I'm always locked into that and ready to go. So, um, you know, at halftime when they told me I was going in, you know, I just... Uh, you know, I just talked to some of the guys and, and said, hey, we gotta, we got to move the ball and get some points. And, um, you know, so nothing really changed for me. i, I got to be ready to go at all times. Streveler didn't fare much better than Nichols, 10 of 20. In, in fact, very similar numbers here, 10 of 20, 160 yards. He did throw a touchdown pass in the first half and threw two interceptions in the second half. The Bombers now head into a bye week with a record of 5 and 7. Two points, just two points ahead of last place BC Lions in the West. The Lions have two games in hand on the blue and gold. Right now, Greg, I think before we do anything else, you have a couple of things you want to clear up. Yeah, I want to apologize for all the... To all the Blue Bomber fans that reminded me, it wasn't Kent Austin. It was, of course, Tom Burgess. The I got the wrong former Saskatchewan Rough Rider quarterback that led the Blue Bombers to a Grey Cup in 1990. Thanks for all the messages. Uh, I apologize for that. Thank you for correcting me. I love the fact that uh, you feel comfortable to do that. And lots of people suggesting that maybe the Bombers and this whole curse started in 95 when they added that lightning bolt to, the to, uniform. The, to their uniform. Yeah. The Bombers had won the Grey Cup in 84, 88, and 1990. They'd been to the Grey Cup in 92 and 93. They were two points short of going to the Grey Cup against BC in 1994. They lost to Baltimore 14-12 in the East Final. Then in 95, they lost in the first round of the playoffs. And then in 1996, they lost 68-7 to in Edmonton to the Eskimos. That was Cal Murphy's last game as coach, and they changed their uniform in 95. So uh, that's that's the theory we're going to go with, at well, least for now. Well, we were talking now. before the break about the idea, Kelly pointed out, you know, people say we're cursed, but there has to be something that's sort of the launching point right. for the, the curse. What's the source of the curse? That 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 listener point, pointing to the uniform. So that's another possibility. So as the summer construction season well, heats up before it winds down. We all work to deadlines, it seems, and Mackling, there is one project in St. Boniface that we felt the need to visit on Friday. Yeah, Taché Promenade is the name given to the paths that run between St. Boniface Hospital and the river from Norwood Bridge to Esplanade Riel. The path is limited to a narrow sidewalk for a section alongside Taché Avenue, at least for a few more weeks. 
Cameron Ward is a bridge projects engineer with the Public Works Department, City of Winnipeg, and he tells us what's been happening at that stretch of Taché for the last few months. Yeah, we're standing at the north end here, close to the Esplanade Riel. So, uh, you know, the project continues south from here down to past Rue de la Cathedrale, uh, down to Depin. And uh, really what the project is, is, is twofold. It's, uh, it's a major investment in some of our municipal infrastructure. Uh, so primarily riverbank stabilization as well, uh, key component to our sort of placemaking and public realm in the area. So that entails uh, a new multi-use path along Taché between Provence and the docks, if you're familiar with the Taché docks. And then south from the docks, we're, we're widening the existing sidewalk to, to uh, much wider than it used to be. It used to be very narrow. Um, and also in that area, we have a new lookout structure, which we're calling the St. Boniface Belvedere, which is sort of a, a bridge type structure that arcs over the riverbank. It's elevated above the riverbank and it's going to provide some very scenic views of the river and the downtown area. Yes, Belvedere. I did not heard that terminology before, Loren. It's an architectural term, which means a summer house or open-sided gallery, usually at rooftop level commanding a fine view. So this lookout satisfies most of those uh, terms within the uh, official definition. The St. Boniface Belvedere will not be a summer house, but it will create quite the view in the midst of some majestic river bank trees. That's a key consideration in the layout of the lookout structure. Um, so we're working closely with our, our landscape architects on the project to sort of strike a balance between giving that feel between being up in the tree canopy, um, but also maintain some of the views and 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 uh, and sight lines that this 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 Belvedere structure was sort of set up to take advantage of in the first place. So um, I think we're we're going to find a good balance. Um, there will be a period of time immediately after construction that you know things are still starting to grow and and take shape and some of the foliage will come back so um but we are we are very optimistic that it's going to be you know just an excellent place to to take in the river so as a reminder the project is costing 10 million dollars it was originally budgeted to cost 5 million when first proposed and approved in 2016 the project was expanded to include much-needed riverbank stabilization. In fact, Ward says the city lost an entire lane of Taché to riverbank erosion once upon a time. Currently, the project is on time and on budget. We are on track for a late fall completion. So what we consider to be the end of the 2018 summer construction season is sort of the end of October, typically. Uh, so we're, we're looking good for around there to, to open things up uh, to, to the public. So we'll, we'll, we'll be... Uh, we'll be releasing probably some more information in that closer to the date when we have a firmer date and uh, issuing some public notices in that regard to, to let people know what the, when they can expect to use it. Now the expanded promenade and the Belvedere will become part of a physical activity loop, which includes the Forks and the Esplanade Riel, and many hope the lookout will become a popular destination for Winnipeggers and tourists. So we worked very closely with a group of community stakeholders, you know, including... Um, the St. Boniface Hospital, the Forks, and other, uh, you know, Provence Biz and others uh, to, to really make the design of this facility that fits into an overall vision for that loop. Um, so, so this is one piece of that, and that's something that's, uh, that's going to be developing over, over the years as the different groups um, champion some of those items. It's interesting, Greg, because I was down there too on Friday talking to some business owners about, A, what impact that construction has had on their businesses businesses this year, but also just about the idea of what they think that that path 
is going to do. We're going to speak to the businesses a little later in the show coming up after eight o'clock. But but I feel like um, when you look at it right now, it's ha- still hard to see the vision of what it will become because there's all that construction going on. When you were down there, how high up will you be in this sort of treetop Belvedere platform? Well, it's kind of interesting because I imagined it as being elevated from the actual street level, but it's really only just a gradual uh, incline up to the apex of this Belvedere. And so it's really at street level. And from the other side of the river, you'll barely even notice it. From the Esplanade Riel, unless you're looking for it, you probably won't see it except at night because it'll be a lit structure. It has really been designed to sort of nest inside the the trees that were left behind. They did lose a few trees. But um, I don't know what the proper word is, but to confirm or to uh, justify the relationship between the project and nature. There's actually a bald eagle that's living in one of the trees right by the construction that's going on. The eagle's been there for more than a week. Cool. The construction workers told me that they're, they're living in perfect harmony and this eagle sits very majestically above uh, the construction site and looking over across the river. It was really cool to see when uh, I spotted him up in this tree. And uh, this is, I think... I think one of those projects where when you go and see it for the first time, you'll be going, oh, we spent 10 million bucks. And by the time you walk away, you go, yeah, you know what? I don't feel like I'm in Winnipeg. And that seems to be the mark of a project that we want to embrace or that we seem to embrace. That seems to be the mark of a worthwhile public works or well, a public that, art project. That spot where the elevated platform is, is the vantage point where most of our postcards now for Winnipeg are taken from, where you can see the the bridge and the Human Rights Museum and a bit of the skyline. It's where I've driven family when they come to visit. Like, I'll do a loop around from the forks and especially at night, go to the other side and say, just look back, look back quickly. And often often they'll say, can we stop somewhere to take a photo? And you, you can, you can pull into a side street. But the idea of having that whole loop from the forks to there to kind of give people that bigger picture vantage point of Winnipeg is neat. It's a big price tag, but it's neat. And the question of the day at CJOB.com, do you think the $10 million upgrades to Taché Promenade will help it become a destination? So far... 8.33% 8.33% say yes, and 91.67% say no. Right now, Greg, we want to talk about World Suicide Prevention Day. Yeah, it's a special day on the calendar for many people, Iran. It's a conversation that we're often reluctant to have, maybe less so now than we were in the past. This uh, acknowledgement that uh, suicide is such a huge problem in our society and the conversations about mental health, mental wellness, getting better, I think, as time goes on. And I know the word stigma is one that we attach to mental health issues, uh, I can't wait for the day when we don't have to discuss that and we don't have to even use that word anymore. And when people just have the courage to put their hand out and say, I need some help, then then you've really taken people some place. And I think that's the goal of talking today, but maybe talking every day about the subject so that you get to that point, Greg, where we don't say stigma anymore. Yeah. So we're going to combine a a bunch of conversations we've had. We have regularly on this program, on this radio station, we've had many conversations about the 
future of Portage in Maine over the years, which for us here at 680 CGOB culminated in our live broadcast outside 201 Portage just a couple of Wednesdays ago. And there were plenty of discussions surrounding the logistics, statistics, the merits of opening that intersection to pedestrians. There were questions about what that intersection would look like if it were in fact open to pedestrians on Thursday we became aware of a proposal to not only dramatically change physically the five-story building that had for years been Scotiabank's head office in our city. Uh, if you don't know, Scotiabank is moving those operations to True North Square. Not only is the proposal for the physical structure a dramatic change, so too is its future use. To share with us this vision for the project, we have with us in studio uh, Dr. Annalyn Anderson. She's the executive director of KidThink, and the founder of the Upside Tree and KidThink is Carmen Aleshka. And let's just start right there, Carmen. Uh, we're talking about bringing something to downtown Winnipeg that would be a not non-profit organization called KidThink. KidThink, tell me about that. What would tell the tell the listeners what that would be? Well, kids and mental illness is really uh, an important project that we need to be think of across the country and the fact that Winnipeg is in the middle of this country and Portage of Maine is you know the center point of our city it's basically putting a think tank and a resource for kids mental illness right at the center of the country at the center of Winnipeg and taking the stigma out of mental illness especially for kids. I'm just at your website right now kidthink.ca and one of the first things on the home page there's a link to a YouTube video and there's a sort of a screen grab of one of the the pieces of information, wait times for mental health support for children and youth in Manitoba is over six months, even longer for assessment and treatment, over six months. So if a kid reaches out for help, it's going to take for six months to get assistance? Yeah, actually, it's just six months to maybe get into the door to have a first meeting. And then after that, there's all the follow-up that goes through that, finding out what kind of specific resource they need and uh, what kind of coaching the family might need. So we're trying to look at something that reduces these wait times. It's a model that's built off of Child Mind in New York, which is um, a center for mental illness. For it's, It offers intensive treatments, but it's also a community approach where it helps both parents and kids treating mental illness. So we're trying to take that concept from New York and bring it here to Canada. Dr. Anderson, can you just maybe for, for those who are just tuning in now and, and trying to learn more as if their children might be going through something, talk to me a bit about the difference between our mental health, which we're always trying to get people to be aware of, and then mental illness and the difference between those. I think uh, one of the things we have to remember and, and to remind ourselves is the World Health Organization actually states there is no health without mental health. Not all people will experience mental illness, but everyone will struggle or have a challenge with their mental well-being. That is their mental health. You know, just like we experience with our physical well-being from time to time. Uh, when we talk about mental health, we are talking about our mental well-being, our emotions, our thoughts and our feelings, our ability to solve problems, of overcome difficulties, our social connections. And a mental illness is an illness that affects the way people think, feel, behave or interact with others. Um, there are many different mental illnesses diagnosable, and they have different symptoms that impact people's lives in different ways. And, you know, today, being World Suicide Prevention Day, it reminds us that suicide occurs all across age, economic, social, and ethnic boundaries. Um, the Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention states that it is estimated that each day in Canada, 10 people end their life and 200 make a suicide attempt. 
So it's very important that we are able to provide the services uh, immediately and right away. Well, you bring up some startling statistics. I'm going to bring up some more. 70% of mental health problems have their onset during childhood or adolescence. 10 to 12% of Canadian youth are affected by a mental illness or disorder. Here's highlights what you brought up, Brett. Only 20% to 0% of children who need mental health services will receive them. And mental health kills more people aged 15 to 34 in Canada than cancer and heart disease combined. Those are overwhelming numbers. And for us to bury our head in the sand and pretend that these statistics aren't genuine is foolhardy. And to have this discussion today is absolutely imperative. Why, why is it so important to you that we have, have this uh, conversation, Carmen? Well, I've been researching across the country over the last two years, and my passion for mental illness and mental health comes from a very personal experience. And what I found is there's no institution that's focusing on these kids at a younger age, age 5 to 12. And it's not that we're trying to take away from teenagers or anything. Um, really, it's a family approach is what we're trying to offer at KidThink. It's a way to diagnose kids much sooner, but then also provide the resources and the coaching for the parents. Because at that age, five to 12, they can't be necessarily an advocate for themselves saying, I need to see a psychologist. I need to get diagnosed. Really, it comes from the parents sort of identifying something, working with potentially teachers or pediatricians, kind of saying what the behavior is in school, at home, and then finding a a resource that can help diagnose and pinpoint a solution um, for them to implement within the household and within their community. People might be hearing for the very first time this morning on 680 CGOB that the plan is, as far as you guys are concerned, is to bring that conversation right downtown with a centre. So talk that, that kids and parents can take go to for help. Talk to me a bit about how you think that that might work and, and what you envision in that space that was Scotiabank. So there's about 18,000 people a day walking through the concourse. The opportunity for messaging just within that, that, that place is incredible. And a lot of it for these kids, again, it comes from the adults advocating for their children. So to be able to give that message to the hub of where economic, you know, downtown Winnipeg is, is quite incredible. That's just inside the concourse, but then outside of the building as well, being able to have naming on the building, being able to have electronic billboards outside to sort of help uh, design positive messaging uh, about this. And in terms of the building, uh, we plan on reskinning it, uh, giving it a new look, um, having it modern, bring back into bring it into this day and age, um, as well as the uh, spaces within the building as well will be a much more modern, open concept, uh, bringing more light into the building. So we're really excited about the overall vision of the building and how KidThink will fit into it. KidThink is going to be a mental health treatment center and outreach program. It'll focus on improving mental health services for children ages 5 to 12 here in Manitoba. And here's a, another, you like I like statistics because of my sports background. A lot of people like numbers here. This one uh, you're not going to like very much. Uh, the estimated annual unserved demand for mental health services for children aged 5 to 12 years old in Manitoba ranges from 10,772 to 21,545 children. And how much of this, as we uh, visit with our guests, we'll reintroduce to you uh, the executive director of KidThink, Dr. 
uh, Annalyn Anerson and founder of the Upside Down Tree and Kid Think, Carmen Aleshka. Dr. Anerson, uh, so much of the discussion has to come from parents at that age, the awareness of parents of, of where their children are at and, and the help that they need. Uh, a barrier to that in my mind is is you don't want to believe that your kids have problems like this, that they're struggling with issues. How do, how do we break down that concern from a parental point of view is the most important thing is that your kids get the assessments or the, the help that they need? I mean, mental health challenges, mental health issues is it, it's, it's behind the scene, right? So not, you know, at the risk of oversimplifying it, when you break an arm, you go and see a doctor right away. And um, we have to um, we have to make sure that our children have the ability to speak out when they're struggling with mental with mental health challenges or mental illness. Uh, just like if they broke their arm, they'll run to their parents and say, "I need help," you know. And then that would get treated right away. We need to ensure that mental health, mental illness, become as such that it's easy for our kids to approach us, easy for our kids to find somebody who can help them. You know, because um, treating an illness in its early stages is far more successful, life-changing, and we know it's even life-saving. You know, intervening in children's mental uh, health early in life has shown to be more effective than trying to resolve these problems when children are older. You're hoping to open KidThink by the spring, as I understand it, and to help kids who are, are grappling with mental health issues uh, have a place to go. We're talking about how there aren't places to go for kids and families in the city and that people are even going as far as taking going south of the border just to try desperate to get help for their kids but it doesn't exist here is it the wait times is it resources we just don't have enough money going to this dr anderson um, I think it's a combination of all, you know, of all of those things. Um, right now, very recently, the province of Manitoba uh, 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 provided um, a report at the end of May, which was completed by the Virgo consultation in regards to our mental health and addictions in the province of Manitoba. And in the, on that report, they talked about the problem of accessibility and coordination in our own province. So we need to look at that, right? And so we need to look at investing in mental health and addictions for our children as well. It also talked about how early uh, intervention and prevention is important in providing uh, for the mental health and addictions here in our province. And so what uh, Carmen has found here, the initiative that she has started here with KidThink is providing that timely, you know, accessible um, treatment for mental health for kids here in our own province. And we hope that it'll be Canada-wide where so people don't have to leave the country. They don't have to leave the province to get help for their children. And parents will do anything they can to help their children. We know that. Now, Carmen, uh, one of our listeners has actually uh, raised an interesting question. What child behaviors are considered abnormal? Because all kids and they learn and act differently, right? So if you're a parent, you obviously want to be vigilant and make sure your kids are okay. But how do you know if what the behavior they're displaying is actually a potential sign of a mental wellness issue? Well, I think there's a few resources you can use. Uh, the first one would be your pediatrician, um, being able to identify some of the signs that you're seeing with your kids because um, you can communicate with what's happening at home. I think the other really important factor is seeing what they're doing at school. So, and then talking to the teachers and the resources there, because in order to, there needs to be the same type of behavior happening at home and at somewhere like school. So that's where, you know, if you're seeing different behaviors, tracking them, identifying them, and then going to talk to a resource like a psychologist who can, can help guide sort of if this is normal or not. Well, one of the basic and one of the more prevalent uh, issues kids have these days is ADHD. And if you go to your pediatrician, they'll give you a packet. 
and they'll show you and they'll say, you know, they'll give you an opportunity to take a look for certain behaviors within your children. You share that with the teacher. It's a very collaborative process. It, it needs to be very collaborative, but from personal experience, it can still be done wrong. So there is a fear that, you know, doctors might be prescribing medication too soon. Mm -hmm. So medication definitely is an important factor, but really you need to get what the root cause is and, and make sure you got a proper diagnosis. Um, the second thing is though, if you're dealing with medication, uh, to find a, or to use a good strategy of rolling it out and making sure it's tracked at home and at school to see how those behaviors are changing and when during the day it is. Because finding that the, the dosage size is very important as well and a very much trial and error over sometimes several month period. One of the biggest concerns I think every parent has, myself included, is that I'm going to miss something or that I'll brush it off as, you know, it's just a bad day as opposed to something bigger and, and when to recognize that I should go ask someone else for help. And so is it just a matter, uh, Dr. Anderson, of just deciding I'm going to reach out even if I'm uncertain rather than leave that gray area? Yeah, that's right. I mean, if if you see something that you feel may not be or, uh, ordinary for your child's behavior or what they're doing day to day, um, as a parent, uh, you should be able to easily approach your child and ask a question of, you know, what's going on, uh, what's happening, anything new, right? Uh, opening up that, you know, relationship and creating a safe space to be able to have that discussion with your child in regards to mental health and mental illness. The website is kidthink.ca. Our guests are Carmen Aleshka. She is the founder of the Upside Down Tree and KidThink, and Dr. Annalyn Anderson, Executive Director of KidThink. Once again, the phone number on this World Suicide Prevention Day for the Kids Help Phone, 1-800-668-6868. Carmen and Dr. Anderson, thank you very much for visiting us today. We appreciate the time. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. Last week, we spoke with uh, Kate from Surefire Fitness, mm -hmm. and I mentioned that as we try to get out of our summer routine and get back into, you know, a more fit, I don't know, Fittish. routine, yeah, fit, fitness routine outside of summer, well, I said, hang on, we've got LeBurger Week to deal with, <laughs> <laughs> and I partook in, in three of them, and I know many people took, uh, took in six, seven, eight, nine, ten, do I hear twelve? We need a seven-day caveat here for LeBurger Week, because um, I think I mentioned to you, Brett, that I, we tried to go to our favorite restaurant up in Birds Hill, yep. uh, Jonesy's, on Wednesday night, I believe it was and their burger was super popular well i mean it's always busy so we expect to wait a few minutes for a table at jonesy's but it was lined up out the door and there were all these people from from winnipeg who had the nerve to come to birds hill yeah. to go to jonesy's it's like who are you people we, we don't know you get, get out of here you're from winnipeg <laughs> i know <laughs> <laughs> I know, but uh, Jonesy's is kind of uh, one of our local haunts that, uh, you know, we, we go across the border yep. from East Saint, uh, from uh, North Caledonian to East St. Paul to patronize. So, Well, hey, we wrapped up. It started on the 1st. It wrapped up on the 7th, Le Burger Week, and the Winnipeg ambassador for Le Burger Week is Daniel Gurevich, joining us live on 680 CJOB for a, a debrief. Mr. Gurevich, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, good morning. How you gentlemen do today? Doing very well, indeed. How many burgers did you take in over the past week? 
Oh, you know, I had a few. I'm lucky, though. I get to uh, have a little bit of a head start up to the event, you know, as I'm doing some media spots and checking out some of the restaurants. I tend to try a few. So, you know, there was a couple in there. But, man, I, I tell you, there's some people that were crushing. I saw, like, 17, 20, oh my God. 20 and upwards uh, of some people. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. That's two or three a day if you're doing that. If you, if oh, you're... there was people that were more, like, up to five hots on a day for sure, right? Yeah. Well, a lot of people go out in groups, too, right, where they'll, they'll, they'll go to a place and they'll get a burger and they'll, they'll, they'll cut it up and then they can go to another one, right? For sure, power in numbers. I saw a lot of people doing, uh, doing that at restaurants, a lot of people doing that for takeout. Like, I, uh, I saw some Instagram, uh, some Instagram photos of just, like, dining room tables just filled with burgers cut into quarters um, from multiple restaurants, which is awesome. You know, lots of people just uh, trying as many as possible, sharing with friends is great. Yeah. Well, Loren and I were working on a story in St. Boniface on Friday, so we slipped over to La Garage to, uh, to get some nutrition, and they were not allowing people to do takeout call in yeah. anything like it was basically come in and eat the burger uh, otherwise we can't accommodate you that's how b- busy they were so and when, so you did so i did that was fantastic <laughs> it was delicious so so, so you're da- obliged, yeah. i had to i had to oblige exactly so daniel the, the power of this so a lot of people will look at it and go oh this is kind of just uh uh you know a marketing campaign to get people out to restaurants yeah. and to yeah that's exactly what it is <laughs> um, totally, it's, yeah. it's been incredibly successful uh, in this marketplace yeah you know uh six years running now and we've seen nothing but a but a steady upswing with uh the amount of restaurants that want to participate, uh, the people in the city that are frequenting those restaurants. And, you know, it changes, it fluctuates. Some restaurants seem, you know, busier throughout and some people have been in for a while. And it, it depends, you know, it depends on how creative they are and, and what they're doing and how well they're promoting it on their end, too. And, uh, yeah, it uh, seems to be a lot of factors. But, man, it's just, uh, like you said, you know, lots of restaurants with lineups out the doors and, uh People, you know, I, I had, I, I remember last year, there's a few restaurants that actually stopped serving the rest of their menu and just did the burgers because that's all they had to ask before. And, you know, if that makes sense, if that works, then, then great, right? So, but uh, yeah, some, some people I talked, talked to some restaurant owners sell, selling, you know, thousands, uh, thousands in a day and, uh, you know, thousands and thousands over the week uh, of their burgers. So that's great. Yeah. So Daniel, uh, there were well over a hundred restaurants, by my count, 112 just in Winnipeg. Uh, the Winnipeg Kenora region, I think there are 121 you there, but people got to vote on burgers. So do we have any results yet? We do actually. I just got them in late last night. I know that sounds hokey, but it's very true from, uh, from our head office in Montreal, uh, where Burger Week was started, uh, seven years ago now. So, uh, second year in a row, reigning champs, Brazen Hall. They, uh, they did it again. So the Krakow burger. Um, so that was, they did a potato scallion bun with some uh, bacon peach ketchup, parsley chives, sour cream, potato vodka, onion, aioli, pickled red cabbage, a little braised beef patty, and some potato sticks on top. So that was, uh, that was the people's choice uh, this year again. And we actually have a few other uh, winners as well because we do uh, a judge's choice. So we have some undercover burger eaters going around throughout the week and, uh, and trying a few. So um, if you guys are ready for those too, I can, I can spot those off as well. Yeah, let it rip. Absolutely. So the uh, best in show or the best looking burger, uh, Underdogs with the Randy Savage. Uh, that one looks uh, pretty, yeah. pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, really like that one. Uh, healthiest Choice went to Shawarma Con this year. So I think it was the uh, it was the lamb falafel patty that kind of pushed that over the edge, I'm going to assume, and a little bit of a Middle Eastern uh, take on a burger, which was very cool. 
And then just the uh, overall judge's choice uh, with, the, with the favorite, let's call it, was Clementine with their urban marrow. So that one was like a decent bacon patty with uh, roasted bone marrow over top. Um, and then they did a little bit of an aioli with an herb salad and uh, smoked mushroom relish. Wow. Relish. So that's, uh, yeah, all really incredible creations. But, uh, you know, the people have spoken, I guess. There's the combination of ingredients, which always astounds me every year, because just when you thought they've come up with all the combos, they go, someone comes up with something else the following year. And then there's the names that they, they, they have for these burgers, like the Randy Savage. How much are the chefs and the cooks and the restaurants? I mean, how, they obviously take this seriously in some respects and want to kind of hold things close to their chest before competition time. Or Is it all in good fun or is it pretty serious for some of them? I mean, I would say it's all in good fun. I mean, the serious point of it is like, you know, I was talking to uh, to one of my friends who's uh, an owner and a participant there, and he said it's like September 9th, his cooks will start coming in and be like, so for next year, you know, like what if we, you know, so <laughs> they take it they take it seriously in the sense that, you know, they want to they want to compete, they want to uh, they want to give something cool to the public, they want to you know, have fun with it. And they also want their, their kitchen staff to be involved. And, and I guess all of their staff to be involved in the creation of it too. Right. So, and, and, you know, I think, uh, at the end of the day, I always stress it's a friendly competition. Uh, you know, I see a lot of chefs going to other restaurants, trying out their burgers, posting other restaurants, burgers on their social media accounts saying, you know, you got to go try this one because everyone knows, you know, it's, you're, you're not going just to try the one burger. You're hopefully going to try many. Right. So, uh, you know, the more the merrier and trying to spread the love, I think. Daniel Gurevich is our guest, Le Burger Week Winnipeg ambassador. And Daniel, it was started in Montreal. They had 54 participating restaurants this year. Uh, there were 360 across Canada, or was it 360 total? And again, 112 in Winnipeg alone. Why is Winnipeg so dominant in this event? Like, it's not even close. Yeah, we uh, we do have the, the lion's share of the market over here. So, you know, I think it's it's a couple of reasons. We've got a lot of restaurants per capita, in all honesty, um, and I think that that helps us. Um, you know, we're one of these cities, too, that we've got a large population, you know, 800,000 is nothing to uh, shake a fist at, but at the same time, um, it's pretty condensed in a sense, right? We're not, uh, you know, it, people say in Winnipeg we're, we're sprawling out, you know, in a sense. You can get anywhere in really 15, 20 minutes. So, you know, I think you have the ability to try all these different restaurants, and, and I also think it kind of creates that sense of community. And I think we just have a really strong culinary community here in general. Um, you know, we see it with the caliber of restaurants that we have. We see it with the, the amount of restaurants that we have. Um, I think that it all just kind of lends itself well to, to an event of this nature, and, and people just seem to get behind it. And, you know, it's also also very much due to the fact that the people in the city just seem to eat it up, you know, quite literally. They they love going out and trying all these different creations. And, and the burger is, is a pretty, you know, uh, I'll say well-loved uh, food item overall. And there's so many different variations on it. So I think a lot of people can participate, whether you're vegetarian, pescatarian, meatitarian, whatever, right? There's, there's always some options out for everybody. So, yeah, I think it, it maybe is just a, the perfect meat storm, maybe. I, I'm not too sure, but it uh, seems to have worked out well. So it's great. All right, Daniel. Hey, by the way, once upon a time, you used to have a, a food-related blog. Do you still have that? Yeah, you know what? It's still on. Uh, we still post everything on charcoalcollaborative.com, so people can go check out the uh, the Burger Week participants and everything there. Uh, truth be told, you know, the the, the more that my uh, my full time job takes my time up, uh, I, I wish I could blog about food more often, but it's always difficult. But uh, yeah, go to charcoalcollaborative.com to check out the winners. We'll be announcing them there as well, and 
thebergerweek.com as well. So, uh, yeah, you can find out all the information there for, for this year's events and previous years as well, actually. Well, if you're, if you're really busy and need help next year, do you need, like, a, like a Sioux uh, Burger Week ambassador? <laughs> Maybe a Macklin McGarry McNabb? Right, right. Um, I'm going to put you on my contact list. You know, we might, be needing some, we might be needing some help as we, uh, as, as, as we grow and grow. And we could do 25, 30 life. easily. If, if the record stands at, say, 21, 22, we can beat that. You know what? I'm just gonna start people. Uh, people start submitting applications and tell me their their eating prowess and, and how they're gonna tackle such a such a crazy event, right? Hey, Daniel, thank you so much for this. We appreciate the time, and uh, thanks for uh, for bringing this week, continuing to bring this week to Winnipeg. It's just uh, it's a lot of fun, and the food's great. So, thank you. It's my, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it, Daniel Gurevich. Winnipeg ambassador for Le Burger Week, and once again, uh, People's Choice was Brazen Hall with a Krakow Burger. Best Congratulations. in show. Congratulations, Christian. I'll yes. send out a shout-out to my friend Christian Christensen at uh, Brazen Hall. Underdogs, the Randy Savage was best in show. Shawarmacon had the healthiest choice, and the judge's choice went to Clementine. So congrats. I was able to take one in at New Burger, uh, Saddlery on Market, and then uh, on Saturday, even though the, the week was over, uh, Cornerstone served up their Swanson's Revenge, so thanks for that. That was uh, delicious. Fantastic. That critical mass, right? We've got so many people participating, so it makes it easy. You can just kind of go out and go, we're going out for a burger. Where you know? I don't know. Just wherever we find one. Yeah. I never thought of the idea of doing a tapas thing with it, really, right? It's just, oh, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And you do fit in 20. That makes way more sense. I was thinking, how could I possibly do more than two or three a week? But just pieces. Well, like when I went to Newburger, there were four places alone in the Forks Market that were doing it. So there was a group sitting beside us that had gone to all four options, and Neat. they were just cutting them up. Sure. And I think there were three of them, so they just cut them in three. And I kind of thought... That probably would have been smarter, but I'm quite enjoying this new burger. (laughs) They had the the Obi-Wan pierogi. Oh, great name. Great name. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.